0: listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com now join your host Brian Chilton as we enter the arena of ideas Music
1: Today we are starting a uh, brand new series, and we encourage you to uh, join along with us uh, in two passages of Scripture. This is going to be a uh, what's called a topical series, so we're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture throughout the Bible. And we've uh, t- to borrow from uh, C.S. Lewis's great book. If you've never read it, I highly encourage you to get a copy of this book, *Mere Christianity*. Uh, it is a fantastic book. And in this book, he describes the fundamentals of Christianity. uh, Those things which make the essential Christianity. Um, You know, let me just first start off this series with this verse. And I think it's very important to understand this, that part of our task as believers is to understand what makes a biblical worldview. uh, What it is uh, that the Bible tells us. And and that is the core essentials of Christianity. There are several things which we have liberty to disagree. But there are those things, there are those fundamentals of the faith that are absolutely essential to the Christian faith to make it the Christian faith. Uh, if, for instance, as Christians, we don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in that. If we did, we would be Hindus or Buddhists. Uh, you know, as Christians, we have certain established beliefs that constitute uh, Christianity. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5: For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So as we go forth through this series, we're going to look at several different things. We're going to look at the identity of Christ, which is an absolute essential for us to to be Christians. It's absolutely essential that we get this right. We're going to look at the triune nature of God. It is absolutely essential that we get this right. We're going to look at the church itself. What does it mean to be the people of God? We're going to look at the incarnation of Christ. What does it mean when God came forth and took on flesh? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at the resurrection of Christ, which may very well be the core quintessential belief that we hold as Christians And unfortunately, it's being attacked in the modern church today. It's being attacked in popular society. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at, again, the triune nature of God. We're going to look at the gospel message itself. What does the Bible tell us what it means to be saved and how to be saved? We're going to look at things like the the, the end times and the things that we we, uh, should expect. Now, there are certain things we're not going to cover uh, as to when does Christ come before the tribulation or after the tribulation. We're not going to get into all that stuff. The core essential is that Christ is coming back and that's what we'll discuss. We're going to take a look at the eternal life and things of that nature. But we first of all start today by looking at the most basic fundamental belief that we Christians hold. And that's the fundamental about God. What does the Bible tell us about who God is? This is the fundamental aspect that we must hold as believers of faith. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture today. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 And then over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 6 through 8, we could read several other passages of Scripture, but to save on time, we're going to look at just these two. We want to encourage you, if you can and are able to, to please join us as we stand to pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Two passages of Scripture today. First in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And you'll note that this is what Jesus calls the greatest commandment of all, uh, This is the greatest commandment of all time. Of the 616 or more uh, commandments in Scripture, this is the number one commandment that we have to get right as believers. And then we're going to look at Isaiah 44, verses 6-8. through eight. Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Now notice that word Lord, and most of your translations will be in all caps. This is the personal name for God which is the name Yahweh, which means the self-existent one. We'll take a look at that in a few moments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is there two gods, three gods, four gods, five? No, just one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. Let's go on to read further. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and all your gates. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 44, uh, verses 6 through 8. Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. 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 Thus says the Lord, again, all caps, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I believe his Redeemer there is talking about Jesus. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And let and who can proclaim as I do, then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. There's a lot of fear going on in our time today, but God tells us don't be afraid. Amen? Don't be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Of course, the answer is no. Is, indeed, there is no other rock I know, not one. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the only God, the true God, the one and only. And we offer our prayers unto you, Lord, asking that during this message and during this series, Lord, that you would allow us to speak the truth, the essential truths, talking about the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us clarity and insight, as some of this can be quite complicated, But we ask, Lord, that you allow us to say the words that need to be spoken, hold back any words that don't need to be spoken, and in and through it all, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis is perhaps one of the greatest defenders of the faith in modern times. But did you realize, I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote the uh, uh, author of the novel known as the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have ever read the book or seen the movies, the Chronicles of Narnia? That came from the hand of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis in England grew up as an atheist, an ardent atheist who was opposed to the Christian faith. But he came to faith in Christ. He came to faith in Christ as he writes in his classic book, Mere Christianity, the following. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Just how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was full of sense, uh, or or, or senseless, excuse me, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. In other words, he's saying that if God did not exist, we would not even be here to know that God did not exist. So in other words, through focusing on the essential matters of what truth is, the essential matters of the faith, he came to find out, came to discover that Christianity made a lot of sense. And in fact, Christianity is the only truth out there as it pertains to the reality that we have. The, the, one of the most important things that we understand is who God is. And understand, ladies and gentlemen, as you watch television, and, and I want to encourage folks, go back to the classic books. <laughs> I, and I'm saying this to myself, we need to spend less time on the television and more time in the classic works, and, and I think we'll find, we'll be better off for it. We need to spend more time in the Word of God, more time in the classics, and less time uh, on, on television, we'd be a whole lot better off. But, but beloved, I'm reminded of a Moravian phrase that says, in essentials we have unity. In the essentials of faith we have a united body together. In differences we have liberty, liberty to disagree. Did you realize that it is okay to disagree with one another and you can do so in a kind manner? Now, you wouldn't believe that looking on social media anymore, but it is possible to disagree with someone and do it in Christian harmony, believe it or not. Uh, But in all things we are to have charity, that is to say that we are to have love. Amen? Now we first start off by looking at who this God is. Now you look on television, you look on popular media, you're going to have many twisted and thwarted views about who God is. But let's go back to the basics today. As we start this journey on the essentials of Christianity, let's go back to the basics of seeing who God is. And there are five uh, elements, five fundamentals about God that we want to note today through these two passages of Scripture. Quite honestly, we could talk about a lot more as we look through the Scriptures. Number one, we see the fundamental of God's exclusivity, which means that He is exclusive. God is exclusive. That means He's the only one. There are not a panoply of gods and goddesses out there. There's not a vast array of gods from which you can choose. At the heart of the Christian faith is the understanding that there is only one God, God alone. There is no other. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the self-existent one who is Yahweh, the Lord is one. There's only one. We see in Isaiah 44 verse 6 besides me there is no god so we can't think of this as being a, a picking and choosing which god or goddess out there best suits us that's not the way it works the way truth works is what actually does exist or in fact who actually does exist and at the core of it all we see there is only one god who is god of the bible the god we see we see two things as, as it pertains to the exclusiveness of God's existence. Number one, He is exclusive in self-existence. Now the name Yahweh, some people translate it Jehovah, but the name Yahweh is a complicated term which simply means I am what I am. It means that He exists of His own accord. He doesn't rely upon anyone or anything. Here's the thing we have to understand as believers. God does not rely on us at all. God could be perfectly fine, existing on his own, without any creation, without anyone. Now, we all like to think, and myself included, I'm including myself in this, we like to think that the world revolves around us, don't we? I mean, it's, it's human nature. It's human nature. We live our lives, and we think the world revolves around us. But one of the things we have to understand that the Bible tells us is that God exists on His own. He depends on absolutely nothing. He depends on absolutely no one, which means that He is a loving God due to the fact that He created us. Now, I know that's humbling to think about it, but that's what the Bible tells us. He is self-existent. Now, there, as opposed to uh, belief systems out there that propose that there are many gods, there is only one God and God alone. Now, I want to throw a little bit of philosophy out there with you today. I want you to hang on to it because if you can grab hold of this, I'm going to tell you what, it's just absolutely mind-boggling and it absolutely shows the absolute essential of God's existence. There are two things, philosophically speaking, as it pertains to existence. There are what's called necessary beings... And there are what's called contingent beings. Necessary beings are individuals that absolutely have to exist. They absolutely have to exist due to the nature of other things around them. Contingent beings simply mean those things whose existence are based upon something else. Okay? Let me give you an illustration to describe what I'm saying. My son exists, okay? But his existence is contingent. Based upon the existence of myself and my wife. If myself and my wife did not exist, my son would not exist. I am a contingent being, meaning that I am only here because my mother and father exist. If my mother and father, my father is sick, my mother's here today, if it were not for them, I would not be here. If it were not for their parents, they wouldn't be here. You take this back, logically, all the way back and you see the essential, the absolute fundamental essential that there has to be a two original individuals and Adam and Eve. Now take that back even farther, folks, it's absolutely mind boggling that you have a universe that came into existence. You have a universe that came into existence. There's only one explanation for that. And that is based upon the absolute necessity of God's existence. Because there is any natural law whatsoever, because there are laws of nature, because there are natural processes in the world, pleads and begs forth because of the fact that there is an intelligence that already exists. And that intelligence is God and God alone. Think about that. Because anything exists, the existence of anything is based upon the absolute necessity of God's existence. So you cannot get around that. It is absolutely essential, absolutely necessary that God exists. And understand, beloved, there are many things that come out in society that seek to challenge our faith.
0: But understand, if
1: you think about it logically and you take it to its extreme end, you have no choice but to understand that there is a God. And by the way, this God has to be one who's omnipotent, all-powerful. This God has to be one who's omniscient, all-knowing. This God has to be one who's omnipresent. This God also has to be one that's omnibenevolent due to the fact that He created all things and didn't have to. He's also exclusive in His rule. Isaiah 44 verse 6. We see that God is called the King of Israel, the, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. We also see in the scriptures that He is, in fact, the King of the universe. Now, if you remember back, how many of you have watched the movie Titanic? Anyone watch the movie Titanic? You remember on that movie where Leonardo DiCaprio, he's riding on that ship, he's going into the Hudson Bay, he sees the Statue of Liberty, and he leans upon the bow of the ship and he says, I'm the King of the world. You remember that? Well, is he really the king of the world? No, not really. Understand, there is no king but God alone. He is, and he alone is the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is no other. He is exclusive in his rule. He is the absolute fundamental force. He is the absolute fundamental person. He rules completely and thoroughly. He is absolutely sovereign. Amen? Number two, we see the fundamental of God's eternality, which means that God is eternal. Notice in Isaiah 44, Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, that I am the first and I am the last. Jesus says that I am the Alpha and Omega in Genesis 1.8. Wayne Grudem says in his systematic theology book that when he says that I am the Alpha and Omega, he says he is calling upon the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So when God says that He is the Alpha and Omega, He implies that He is before everything and He is after everything. God is timeless. I spoke to uh, Stephen Phillips after our uh, Building and Grounds meeting this past uh, Thursday. And we were talking about some deep theological things after the meeting. And we were talking about this very thing of eternity. You know, and he even made a point, and I think he's right, that everything in our life is based upon time. You've got to be here, you've got to be there. You've got to run here, you've got to run there. It's hard for us to understand what it would be like to be absolutely timeless. I don't think there's any way we can understand what it means to be timeless. I mean, just think about that. God has no time whatsoever. For God, a thousand years is as one day to him. Isn't, that's just mind-boggling to me. I mean, I don't even think we can completely fathom that, but that's what the Bible tells us. You know, so a lot of times we see things in life and we, we, we base everything upon time. And sometimes we may pray to God and ask God, will you do something? Will you move in this person's heart? Will you do something for me here? Will you do something for me there? And we don't see God's answer right away. And we think, well, God must not care about me. Yeah, He cares about you, but understand his time is not your time. He's eternal. And understand, beloved, this has been my experience, and I'm sure it's been yours. God's time is always right. Amen? Now, I'm, I, I have uh, about as much patience as, uh, as, uh, as, well, I don't have any patience. Let me just put it that way. Uh, and so whenever I come across a stoplight and I'm in a hurry, it seems like, if I'm in a hurry, it seems like I hit every stoplight that's out there. Every stoplight turns red when I'm in a hurry. But I understand the fact, I have to understand the fact that God's time is not my time. And and it has been my experience that God's timing is always right, that His ways are always right, and and we need to focus upon Him and not ourselves. The third thing we see is the fundamental of God's transcendence. And I need to explain this word. Transcendence means that God is beyond the scope of this creation. That's what it means It simply means this Uh, It it means that God is not constrained By the physical world Now Isaiah 44 7 is a proof text It says who is like me Let him proclaim it Let him declare and set it before me Since I appointed an ancient people The Israelites did not appoint God God appointed them Amen We, We did not save ourselves God saved us Amen We can't save ourselves, amen? Only God could save us. And God is the one who saved us. Uh, And so we need to understand this. We didn't come up with God. God was not some hypothesis that we put forth. God is the ultimate reality who chose to make us. God is the ultimate reality who chose to save us. And what a great God we serve. We see the fact in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which means He created everything that exists. He created you. He created me. He created the materials upon the pew you're sitting upon. He created the materials which were used to build this building. He created the materials of the air in which you breathe, the water in which you drink. He created everything that exists. And what an amazing God we serve. I mean, even if you think about it, the nature of the, uh, the, the way the water works, the evaporation system, the fact that water's taken up from the earth and put back down upon it, that's the genius of God. The fact that we're, at the, we're in the right place, the perfect place in our solar system. Uh, and, and our solar system is a perfect place in the galaxy. If we were any closer, we were even farther, we would not live. The fact that everything is designed as it is in this universe declares the glory of Almighty God, of His transcendence. This is His creation. Now, many people hold that God is an impersonal force. Now, John, I love Star Wars, but i got to say it, all right? Now, on Star Wars, they'll say, let the force be with you, you know, and they'll move things. Now, that would be cool, especially if you're having to clean up your house, you know, use the force and... Elevate that bed over here and sweep over there and that'd be pretty cool if you could do that, you know, it'd be nice But we have to understand God is not an impersonal force God is a being and he is separate from the universe the universe is not God Now now Hindus Hindus will, will accept the fact if you ask them do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? They say yeah, but I believe that I'm God you're God the pew you're sitting on is God the air you breathe is God the water you drink is God and everything's God That's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible tells us. Creation is something brought forth by God. It's not God, but it's brought forth by God. And so God is separate. He is higher. He is lifted up. He is separate from creation. Uh, and, And what, you know, just think about it. We have a lot of individuals today, like Brother Bob, he's great with construction, he builds things with his own hands. But, but those things that he builds, that's not Bob Legg. Amen? Bob Legg exists is separate from the creation that he builds. The same is true with God. God created this universe, but this universe is not God. God is separate from the universe. The fourth thing we see, though, is the fundamental of God's eminence, which means his personal nature. You can write that down if you want to, his personal nature. Now, we understand that God is separate. He's greater than the universe, but we must also understand that God is intricately involved with this universe. Now there are individuals like, uh, now in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6, we, we're called as individuals to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That means you love Him with everything you have, with your mind, your will, your emotions, your body, every morsel of your being, you love God with everything you have. But we must understand that God is personal. Now, there are individuals like Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. While they were great individuals for our nation, and they helped establish this republic in which we live, this republic in which we stand, and are able to have the freedoms that we have as Americans, they were called deists. And deists believe that God is like a deadbeat dad. If you ever spun a top, you know what I'm talking about? You you put a top on the table and you spin it, and you, and you step back and you watch that thing continue to spin and it spins and it spins till it runs out. You don't touch it anymore. You just spin it off and it keeps going. What deists believe is they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in any revelation. They don't believe in any personal involvement of God. That God created everything, but He's basically hands off. He doesn't do anything anymore. He basically sits back and watches everything. But beloved, I have good news for you. That's not what the Bible tells us. Amen? The Bible tells us that God is very personal, that God is very intricately related, that He works in this creation and that He is very, He is very personal, that He desires a personal relationship with you and desires a personal relationship with me. And that's absolutely amazing that He reveals Himself, He reveals Himself to us. Now there are individuals who don't believe in revelation, divine revelation, that's not Christianity, that's agnosticism, amen? That's agnosticism. The Bible tells us, in fact, we have seen throughout history that God has manifested Himself before humanity several times over. He's done miracles. He's performed wonders. Right here is a miracle. Amen? Patsy Boo, that's a miracle right there. Amen? God has done some amazing things in her life, and the fact that there's just one miracle illustrates the fact that God is personal. Aren't you glad God's personal? You take a look at the incarnation of Christ, which we'll examine in a few weeks. And you look at the fact that God came into humanity. Why did He do that? Because He's a personal God. Because He loves you with an everlasting love. Now get this. God didn't have to make any one of us. But God made each and every one of you because of His great love for you. You may think that your life has no meaning. You may think that no one cares about you. And you may think that you're all alone. But I'm going to tell you something. You have a God who is far greater than anything in this universe. Who decided from the foundation of the creation past to say, I'm going to create you and I'm going to give you life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity for salvation because I want you in my heaven. If that's not a love God, beloved, I don't know what love is. What a powerful God who not only brought us forth from creation but who speaks love unto our hearts. Let me use this as an illustration before I move on to our final section. My grandmother, she has Alzheimer's, and Mom, you've probably heard her say this before too. But I was over visiting with her and my grandpa one time, and grandpa was a Southern Baptist pastor up in the Surrey Baptist Association. And, um, and there was a pastor and, and family, uh, and there was a pastor who stopped by and visited with him. And they visited, had a wonderful conversation, and and the the visiting pastor left. Well, My grandma was always known for having some strange sayings, but this was one that really stuck with me. She says, that old so-and-so is as plain as an old shoe. I thought she said that because the guy was kind of homely looking or something, because he kind of was. But, I mean, what did she mean by plain as an old shoe? I asked her, I said, Grandma, what do you mean as plain as an old shoe? And she says, well, that means that he's the same every time you see him. That means he, that he's a, he's a loving person and he treats everybody, you know, the, the way they should be treated. He's just, there, there's no pretense about him whatsoever. He's just the same all the time. If that's what it means to be plain as an old shoe, then I would say God meets that characteristic. Amen? That God is a personal God. He's not some far distant deadbeat dad who doesn't care about you. God is a personal God who loves you with an everlasting love and who cares about each and every intricate detail of your life. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. You may have had some people in your life that's left you high and dry. Some people that were supposed to be in your life and they left. God's not that way. Amen. God will never leave you, He'll never forsake you, but He loves you with every morsel of your being and every morsel of His being. He loves you with an everlasting love and that's the great hope that we have as Christians. And that's why, as Ashley said, we need to tell others about this truth. Not stand by quietly, but to go forth publicly and telling everyone that there is a God, folks, that loves you with an everlasting love and He won't stop loving you at that. Last and certainly not least, we see the fundamental of God's creation. Now, putting all of this together, there are some truths that we have to understand. God, obviously, in Genesis 1-1, brings forth creation out of nothingness. God speaks existence and brings it forth. Because there are laws of nature. Because there are processes and procedures in nature. Because anything exists at all demands the fact of God's existence. You can't get around it. But the Bible tells us that He is the reason that anyone exists. There is no other rock. I know not any Isaiah four eight. He is the foundation of all things. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe with the word of His power, which means God can just simply think it, He can say it, and it comes to be. That's power, folks. God can simply think it, God can simply say it, and it comes to be. What a powerful God we serve. Now again, we've mentioned, we've mentioned that deists think that God created the world and everything in it but remains hands-off. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us three ways that God interacts with this creation. We, first of all, not only did He bring it into being, but we see God's preservation of the universe. Which means that he keeps everything existing as it does. By the upholding of his word, the laws of nature hold intact, the universe itself holds intact, and if God were to take his hands off, everything would fly apart at the seams. And, uh, and, and he, he keeps all created things existing and maintains the properties with which He created them. Colossians 1.17 says, and In Him all things hold together. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 9.6, praying to God, says that you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them. It's not just the fact that God creates everything, He preserves everything that's on this planet Earth, everything that's in the universe. And so, what that tells us is that your life here on Earth is in His hands. Amen? Your life here is in His hands. Now, I like what Rhonda says you know, we ring that bell, and it's a big old bell. Sometimes we ring that thing, and you hear that rope pull, and you sometimes wonder, my goodness, that thing won't fall. And she says, we know it's not going to fall unless God said, fall. You know, if it's your time, it's your time. You know, I think there's something true about that. You really think about it. God not only creates you, but every morning you wake up is a gift of God. The reason you're still here right now is not because of something we do. It's because of what He does. He not only creates you, but He preserves you. Every morning we wake up is a gift of God. Every breath we take, every beat of our heart, every thought that we have is a gift of God given to us by an eternal God who not only loves us to bring us forth into existence, but keeps us in existence and who offers us eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you that's some powerful stuff. Just, just think about that. I mean, this is stuff that will make your mind do cartwheels if you really think about it much. Go home and think about that, that you not only exist, but you continue to exist because of God. If God ever took His hand off of creation, nothing would exist whatsoever. We also see God's concurrence with the universe, which means Wayne Grudem explains this as God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties. Now he understands and brings forth the aspect that there are free things, there are free creatures that he creates. He, we'll, we'll look at this in a moment. But we see that God's concurrence is seen with inanimate creation. God brings about and works in harmony with rain, snow, and storms. I don't know why he's given us bipolar weather in North Carolina, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. You know, we don't know the answer for why it's 20 below zero one weekend and 70 degrees the next weekend, but I'm sure God has a purpose. And you know, it's a good thing that, that we don't have our way all the time because, you know, a lot of us, if we had our way, it'd be 70 degrees all year round, sun shining, but everything would dry up because we never had any rain. You know, if we had our way about it, let's be honest. Aren't you glad God's in control of the weather and we're not? Because we would just mess it up. God's in control of the weather, we're not. He's in control of the universe, we're not. God's concurrence is seen in the animal world. Jesus says He feeds the birds of the air. He he clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the animals of the deep. He keeps creation going. And aren't you glad of that? Number three, God's concurrence is seen through random events. Things, I don't believe in coincidences any longer. I believe that God works in, in mighty ways that we don't understand. In fact, the New Living Translation, I like how they translate Proverbs 16.33. It says, you may roll the dice, but God determines how it lands. Nothing is taken God by surprise. God knows all things that exist, and even the random things in life isn't so random when we understand the, the power of God. God works through free human decisions. And that is to say that God not only knows who we are, God knows what we're going to do, what we're going to do. He, not, Listen, nothing you do is going to take God by surprise because He already knew what you were going to do before you did it. So don't play chess with God because He's always going to win. And lastly, we see God's governance of the universe, which is a wonderful truth that we need to up, understand and uphold. That God not only brings things in creation, preserves things in creation, and works in harmony with creation, but His governance means, as Wayne Grudem says, that God has a purpose in all that He does in the world, and He providentially governs or directs all things in order that they may accomplish His purpose. Romans 11:36, Paul states, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15:27 says, God has put all things in subjection under His feet. Ephesians 1.11 says that God is the one who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. And Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Which simply means that God can take all the bad in our lives and bring it to a final good. Amen. Amen? All the things that you may be going through today, you may be going through... Bad stuff today. And, I, and I, there may be things you're going through that no one else except you and God knows about. But God and His majestic power can work all things to bring out a final good. And that also means that the culmination of history, that all the problems of the world, all the, all the wars and rumors of wars, God is you're going to use all of those bad things to bring forth an ultimate good when he does, whenever He creates a new heaven and a new earth. And He gives His people the heaven that they have received through His sovereign grace. Beloved, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope when there is no When there seems to be no hope in this world, that gives me hope. That God is moving all of history. That God is moving all of us to a final good, to a final end. At least those who were saved and are called according to His purpose. Let me close with this. We love going to the mountains. You know, I'm from up in Surrey County, around Mount, you know, P- Mount Pilot, and Sur- you know, Andy Griffith Show, Pilot Mountain. I've always loved going up on Pilot Mountain. I've always loved going up to the mountains because I think it gives us a fresh perspective when we think about things. We see things around our neighborhoods. Everything seems big. The houses seem big. The roads seem big. The traffic seems big. Everything seems big to us. But you go up on a mountain and you look back at where you live Everything seems little, little, bitty at that point in time, doesn't it? Daniel Mitchell, professor at Liberty University, said one time, the more you study God, the bigger He becomes. Mm -hmm. And that just helps us to understand that the more you study God, the more you're in His Word, the more you understand the fundamentals of who God is, the bigger He becomes. When you open one door with God's power and His presence, ten more are opened. You open through you open one of those 10 doors and the 100 more opened after that. The more you study God, the deeper he becomes, the bigger he becomes, the more powerful he becomes. How do we know that God exists? Well, I think we can know several ways. Obviously through the scripture, the revelation of God, but I think we can know cosmologically. God's the only answer as to why anything exists. The teleologically, we we know that he is the answer for the over 185 cosmological constants that exist in the universe, if any one of them were changed by the nth degree, the universe would fly apart at the seams. Life would be impossible. God holds all of those things together. We know it morally. Anytime you say anything's bad... You're appealing that there's something good. Anytime you appeal to something good, you're appealing to someone who is good, that is God. We know, fourthly, aesthetically, He gives things morals and values and purpose. We have purpose only through God. Informationally, the, the, the reason that there are any laws of nature pleads the fact that God exists, of His existence. Uh, ontologically, God is the greatest thing that can, could ever be conceived. Uh, that's the evidence uh, in, in a way and that goes deeper than what we have time to do. Uh, consciously, God is the only answer for consciousness. And even near-death experiences, He's the only answer for that. For miracles, for the countless and countless miracles that are performed on planet Earth, God is the only answer for that. Craig Keener has written a two-volume book. He, had, he took upon... What he told Gary Habermas were millions of examples of miracles and had to condense those down to several thousands. That happens all the time. God is a God of miracles, and it's only because He exists. It's philosophically He's a necessary being. Uh, and, and also, but last but certainly not least, how many of you have had an encounter with God? Raise your hand. How many of you have received Christ as your Savior? You've had an encounter with God? Raise your hand and raise Him high. Don't be ashamed about it. If God has saved you, guess what? That's evidence that He exists. The Holy Spirit residing in your heart. You can know that you know that you know that you're saved. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt (coughs) that He is real. Amen? Amen. Now that deserves a big one. Amen? Amen? God is the realest thing. The most real thing that ever exists. Never could exist. So I want to encourage you in this first step uh, as we take a look at mere Christianity. That if you're here today and you don't know this God of love. If you don't know this transcendent God. You may be like several people that you hear on popular society who say. How could a God that big care about me? That's the wonderful news about it. A God that big really does care about you. He wouldn't have created you if he didn't care about you. He has a reason for your existence. You have a purpose for your existence. And He has called you, beloved, He has saved you, and He has called you to do great things in His name. So first and foremost, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand you have a God who is more powerful than anything you could ever think or imagine, who loves you with an everlasting love, and who is calling you to that love relationship with Him today. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to come down and receive Him today. Maybe you're here today, maybe the burdens of life have got you down, and maybe you've heard about the grandeur of God, and you want to just lay those burdens at the cross, at His cross, at the feet of Jesus. We encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you'd like to join the ministry here at Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to come and respond as the Spirit leads. Dear, kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the great God That you are the only one. There aren't millions of gods and goddesses out there. There's only one and you're Him. And there is no other. We thank you for the fact that you are transcendent. We thank you for the fact that you are eternal. We thank you for the fact of your creation. That you created all things and you preserve all things. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, most of all for being personal as you are. To love us, we who are so insignificant to your majesty and glory, but yet you love us with an everlasting love. It's just unfathomable. Lord, we, we can't even wrap our minds around how you love us so. But we thank you so much for that love that you have for us. Lord, have your will in your way in this time of invitation. We'll give you the thanks and praise for all that you do and continue to do. For us in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection.
0: Hymn number 317, Only Trust Him. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.